All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Cameron George from True Kava. Cameron uh, developed, in, in his early 20s, he developed, developed a severe autoimmune nervous system condition that rendered him temporarily disabled and unable to work or function at any level without assistance. Cameron spent many years seeing countless physicians, accumulating scientific research, and investigating many therapeutic strategies. Eventually, uh, this led him to discover uh, the powerful effects of kava, and Cameron became the co-founder of True Kava, a company that's striving to set the industry standard for quality, safety, and education around kava within the mass market. Cameron, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Fun. Yeah. So tell me a little uh, kind of about your story as far as um, kind of, you know, kind of going down this path where, where you were sort of searching, uh, searching out sort of doctors and help mm -hmm. for, for your condition. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's always kind of interesting. I, I always tell people this and we were kind of talking right before the show um, of how all the discoveries that I've made in the inception of this entire project and this company and some of the other things that I'm involved in within sort of the health and wellness sphere within research, product development, writing, and representing other influencers as well all of it really came out of necessity for me, right? It was like, it's sort of, I call it a pain to purpose journey. That's, that's uh, you know, one of the terms that, that we use in my mentor, Dr. Dan Pompa, who's sort of in this field as well to help me get my life back. Uh, that's something, that's a term that he uses at his conferences as well. Um, and I think it's adequate just because, um, you know, so much of this really, it did. It, it came out of necessity, but more specifically, it came out of my own pain. Um, like you mentioned in the uh, bio there, I got sick at a really early age. I got sick in my early 20s, way, way more sick than, you know, than most people could even fathom, right? Even at, a, at an older age, it was just, it was one of those situations that I call the perfect storm where a lot of different, you know, you've seen the movie, like several different fronts come together, the whole thing explodes, right? And this was really a bunch of different, both genetic susceptibility and environmental factors. So both nature and nurture that sort of came together and the whole thing sort of exploded really early in my life, you know? And in these situations, there always is a level of genetic susceptibility when someone gets so sick, so young. Um, but it's always the environment that really has to pull the trigger on these things, right? Or a combination of different stressors in the environment. And for me, it was horrible lifestyle habits, you know, uh, a lot of profound stressors, some chemical, some physical, some emotional. Um, there is a, a lot to this, you know, to this story here. I, you know, we growing up in the 90s, I had a lot of um, dietary habits that were not optimal that we know now, right? I, you know, obviously, the, we just weren't as focused on what to eat, when to eat. It was more just about like following the food pyramid you know, uh, you know, that we all learned in school where we eat a bunch of grains and carbohydrates and fuel, fuel, fuel with that. And then, you know, we kind of try to stay away from certain things. But if you were a person like me who kind of had a framework uh, that was wired a little bit to an addictive personality that was, which is usually in a, a response to some form of trauma or a combination of trauma or the susceptibilities that I talked about, I was sort of set up to sort of overdo a lot of these things that weren't so good for me um, as part of that sort of like dopamine loop that we all find ourselves in. 
that dopamine pleasure loop that's sort of a negative feedback loop that the more you do of certain things, like the more that you overread of things that are not good for you or say other addictions that I had, like I immersed myself at an early age in physical exercise and I was an elite endurance athlete and I ran at the University of Arkansas and was running, you know, and you know, I was, I was running, you know, professionally for a bit and sitting, I mean, I hit, you know, Olympic qualifying tile trial times and marathon at a very early age. So doing things that at an early age that uh, were putting a huge stress burden on my body on top of some of the underlying circumstances that I had going on physiologically. So um, all that, it did come to a head. I was, you know, overtraining was a huge part of it. Bad dietary choices for years were a huge part of it. Addictions were a part of it. I had bouts with drug and alcohol addiction pretty early on and stuff too on the side. Um, and all that sort of accumulated, it created an inflammatory sort of autoimmune storm uh, in my body uh, that led to a huge metabolic sort of deficit or a metabolic failure to some degree. And I ended up in a psychiatrist's office because obviously I have no energy and I've got extreme depression and I can't train anymore and blah, 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 end up with a bunch of injuries. Um, and I was prescribed a whole host of different pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, and that was the model at the time. That was my first sort of introduction at an early age to like a significant intervention from the allopathic model, the psychiatric wing of the allopathic model. And the main drug that I was prescribed was an amphetamine-based drug called Adderall that most people know very well if they are have, have been to college or been to a university campus and they know that that's the main quote unquote performance enhancing drug for studying, but also a, a drug that's just prescribed pretty much at epidemic levels, just indiscriminately to, to, to kids um, as well to um, just to deal with symptoms downstream, uh, which that's what that model looks like when I, when I say model, I mean the allopathic medical model, it's really not as much of a healthcare system as it is a disease symptom management program, which is good for acute traumas whenever you need an antibiotic or you need something acutely, but chronically, it can be a problem, a, bi a big problem, and it's usually not the highest road you can take to find permanent solutions. And for me, it was a complete disaster because I already had this inflammatory situation going on in my body. I already had um, this sort of autoimmunity that was going on from this combination of traumas, physical stressors, bad lifestyle habits, overtraining, and then my mitochondria, my metabolism kind of crashed. I crashed. And then, you know, what do I do? I go to a psychiatrist and they give me an amphetamine that's sort of like an override button, right? So, you know, the concept of trying to use amphetamines to compensate for an energy deficit in your body is kind of like borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today. It's kind of like charging credit whenever nothing is available, right? So you just dig deeper into your body's energy stores. Because when you take drugs in general, you're not creating any more of these chemicals that it's giving you, right? Um, you're just, you, you're, you're sort of using, you're using up the stores that you have of them and you're creating a, a short-term instant gratification at the cost of tomorrow. Um, and that's where you know, that's why the addiction, the dependency, and the um, the depletion of your brain chemistry happens whenever you take drugs. So, in my circumstance, amphetamines many times are something that should be, if they're going to be ever used, used with extreme caution. Um, and I would always look for other strategies. But for me, it was a complete disaster. Uh, you know, the Adderall was like the icing on the cake that completely wiped out my nervous system. Um, cause it was already vulnerable. It's, it's sort of like at that point, it was like putting 
jet fuel in an already overheated car engine, right? It just sort of blew it out. And what happened after about a year, year and a half of being on this stuff, I just kept getting more and more and more depleted. And eventually I just crashed. The drug even lost its effectiveness and I had a complete nervous system brain crash. And it actually did quite a bit of, of metabolic damage to my brain, to my nervous system, to my endocrine system, my adrenals, the whole thing. Um, so much so, I was actually able to quantify it because a lot of people wouldn't believe me at first that things were that bad. Because I, I basically got to a state where I was handicapped, where I had huge, huge cognitive deficits whenever I went off the Adderall, whenever I had to finally stop taking it. I, I was having like memory lapses. I would forget where I was. I, I was starting to not recognize people's faces in my family. I actually, and I, you know, to prove this out, right, to actually just confirm that I wasn't crazy. Um, I obviously for a while exhausted the rest of the allopathic medical model and tried every other medication and things just got worse and worse and even ended up in psych wards because I was on so many medications, which wasn't at all. I'm, I'm actually a really grounded person initially. Um, but, you know, after I went through all of that and I realized that wasn't the answer, I, I, I started engaging in medical tourism where I started traveling all over the country to look at what was outside the initial allopathic paradigm, right? The functional medicine slash, you know, sort of like, you know, naturopathic, chiropractic, um, biological medicine type paradigm, right? That can be, you know, uh, you, you, you know, within that paradigm, you have MDs, DOs, chiropractors, naturopaths, doing in, in, in any combination of both functional medicine um, and or like regenerative therapies. I just wanted to figure out how I could actually accelerate the healing process in my body. So whenever I was traveling around, um, you know, one of the places I end up was a research facility and hospital down in Marrero, Louisiana, which is right, you know, down in the New Orleans area. Um, and, it, you know, I went to go see one of the world's experts in hyperbaric oxygen because I knew that I had like a brain injury and that was one of the modalities that I was chasing down. Uh, he wanted to do a SPECT brain imaging scan on me, which was you know, definitely something I wanted to do because I wanted to be able to visually see where my brain was at so that I could help other people, people in my family understand what I was going through and then also be able to track um, you know, my progress and engaging some of, in some of these reparative therapies like hyperbaric oxygen. And I was looking at stem cells and a bunch of different other things as well, too. Um, so I did the spec brain scan. And this was probably like a year after I went off Adderall. And I hadn't, I, I was totally handicapped. I couldn't get off the couch. I could barely move around and, and couldn't function at all. I had to move back in with my parents. This is at like 23. I was like 23 at the time. Um, and uh, so I did the spec brain scan. And when the radiologist got the scan in and um, gave me the report, and by the way, a spec brain scan, basically it measures for energy metabolism, it measures for blood flow and activity. So it's looking at the actual activity of your brain instead of like an MRI that's looking at the physical size and shape. So it can tell you like how well your brain's actually functioning. So anyways, when the radiologist got the scan, interpreted the scan, he looked at me and said, oh my gosh, this is comparable to many of our 80-year-old patients that come in with, with progressed dementia. Um, he said, I don't know how you're talking to me right now, honestly. And, um, you know, because this is just, this is horrible. You shouldn't be functioning at all. You should be suicidal. And I said, well, I have been there, you know, um, but 
you know, still just kind of my personality being the way that it is, I was, you know, sort of fighting for my life to scour for any answers as humanly possible. Um, so anyways, I ended up doing hyperbaric oxygen. I ended up going and traveling to some different places as well to get some in, you know, some care from different functional medicine practitioners. Um, found my way and got integrated into with a network of doctors that specialized in protocols on cellular detoxification and, you know, teaching me a system of how I could upregulate detoxification at the cell because that was a huge thing that was keeping me sick. And that was a huge thing that led to my system crashing to begin with because genetically um, I didn't get rid of certain toxins as well. And then also I had to work on my microbiome and my gut. So I, I had to work on a few different biological things. And then after doing some of that preparatory work to make my body stronger over a period of time, I was able to integrate some of these regenerative medicine therapies, uh, which were like the icing on the cake. And really when I put all of these things together over years time, I was able to get my life back. But it's, it wasn't just what I did, it was how I did it. I had to figure out the system. So I had to um, do the right protocols and you know, figure out what was going on during that process. Sure. And then tell me, tell me kind of how Kava uh, started fitting into that, that system. Right. So during that process, when I was traveling around scouring you know, for different treatments and therapies, I was deteriorating pretty rapidly until I, I really got integrated into like this network of doctors that I was telling you about uh, that sort of guided me on sort of when and what and how to do and to, you know, to where I could get a leg up. Because I was deteriorating rapidly because when the system is that unstable, um, you tend to be in a, a, you know, a downward spiral and I was getting sicker and sicker. Um, even though I had taken away the drugs and things that, that really set me on that path. Um, but during that process, uh, things got so bad that I developed so much neurotoxic situation that I ended up in a, a, a syndrome spectrum called environmental illness, or it's called environmental illness, or you know, people have heard the term Gulf War syndrome or multiple chemical sensitivity. I started, you know, in other words, I developed a, a number of different environmental sensitivities to foods, supplements, lights, sounds. It's, it's, a, it's basically, an, it's, a, it's a label. Those labels like MCS or Gulf War syndrome are just labels for these syndromes where people have severe PTSD from physical stressors, emotional stressors, or chemical stressors in my case, right? I had this massive accumulation of endogenous toxicity and it led me to develop profound sensitivities to all of these things that I just named. So I was like losing, losing uh, foods like by the day, like the amount of foods that I could eat, the amount of supplements that I could take. So my reactions, what a reaction looked like for me, it was either one of two things. It was either more immunologically mediated or it was nerve system mediated. The immunologically mediated reactions sent me into like a full-blown anaphylaxis when they got at their worst. I broke out, throat closed up, couldn't breathe, big, big problem. Um, the nerve system reactions, which were actually the reactions that were happening most of the time, sent me into full convulsions and seizures. So I was having like, you know, at one point, 10 seizures a day. And every single time I had a seizure, it accelerated the rate of my deterioration. So that was a massive problem. I, my first priority before I started to integrate any of this sort of detoxification stuff, the dietary stuff, the regenerative medicine stuff, I had to get a control over my convulsions and my reactions because I couldn't tolerate any of these things. 
everything that I would do, food, supplements, anything. I time against my, you know, I, I really, really hesitated to do this, but I ended up on heavy doses of benzodiazepine drugs, which are anticonvulsant drugs. They're, they're anti-anxiety drugs as well, um, like Xanax and Klonopin, these kind of drugs that are, that are widely, widely prescribed at epidemic levels as well, just kind of like added on some of these other different drugs. And it's as much of an epidemic as opiates is, honestly. It's not as reported as much, but they also are drugs that give the, the highest level of withdrawal symptoms of almost any drug, more so than opiates. The, the withdrawals can kill you from benzos. So basically, I was on these really high doses. I kept having to increase my dose, and I knew they were going to lose their effectiveness at some point in which I was going to be screwed because I was going to, you know, my body was going to go in the opposite direction. My seizures were going to be worse than ever. And I was weak enough to where I got, you know, at one point to where, an, you know, another one of these huge seizures could have killed me. It was that bad. Um, so basically, already having spent years in this state um, and being someone who was just scouring medical and scientific literature to save my life, um, and, you know, having a background in, you know, you know, performance athletics, I already sort of knew my way around the sciences a little bit and, and fine-tuned that as I went on. Um, and I collaborated with so many people along the way, doctors, researchers, scientists, just in this state of desperation. I, I knew I found my way around sort of the, the, um, the ethnobotanical community because I had looked into medical cannabis, I had looked into herbal medicine, I looked into traditional Chinese medicine, and um, I, I, I looked into all of those things. So I was well aware of how to navigate that space, both from an anthropological account, from a scientific literature account, so a Western and Eastern sort of perspective. So I knew that at some point I needed to find a plant-based alternative, a non-addictive, non-toxic alternative to a benzodiazepine that could help downregulate my convulsions and reactions and reduce my anxiety and allow me to sleep and start recovering again. I had to get out of that sympathetic nervous system state, which was just like, I could not, it was killing me. And I, I had to get a leg up on it. I needed some sort of safe intervention. So reading through the literature, I was looking for something that bounded the same receptors. I, if you read enough, obviously you're gonna come across kava because kava is considered really the all-star in the plant kingdom uh, of a compound that binds to these, these GABA receptors, which are the receptors that benzodiazepines uh, and anxiolytic drugs and even barbiturates and alcohol and all those bind to. And, and GABA is the main pathway in the body that, that is like the brakes of the nervous system, right? It's the main sleeping, relaxing chemical. It's the most inhibitory neurotransmitter in the system. As where the glutamate, which is the most excitatory, which is what drives seizures, is, the, is its equal opposite, the most excitatory. Very crucial neurotransmitter, but very carefully regulated because it gets out of balance. It becomes toxic, burns out the system, causes seizures, et cetera. So I was trying to find a, this plant-based analog here. And so I, I had gone over kava a few times and tried capsules that I had just gotten from the health food store, like, you know, a couple of years prior to this. And I was like, you know, I've already looked into kava. It's, it's not much. It's no different than like a cup of chamomile tea I'd get from Whole Foods or something. It's not a big deal, right? I need something stronger. Like, you know, a, a lot of these different herbs like valerian root and chamomile and lemon balm and passion flower, and all of the herbs that are in this whale house, even just straight CBD, 
you know, they all have effects and I don't, I don't dislike any of them, but for my situation, it was kind of like trying to take down an elephant with a BB gun. You know, it just, it was not happening. Like it was not enough. I was trying to get off this powerful drug. Um, but anyways, I, I came across, you know, someone who was a friend of mine who was from the South Pacific islands. And he told me to get in contact with a couple of the farmers and a couple of guys in the kava industry. And he said, cause I, you know, he's like, well, you need to try kava. I said, well, I already tried kava. And, and he said, well, what did you try? What form did you try? I was like, well, I got these capsules from this company, blah, blah. He's like, he laughed. He said, you haven't tried kava. <laughs> That's not kava. Those are kava like products, right? If you, if you, you know, kava gets, you know, the effects get destroyed really easily if you uh, extract it with solvents and different things. And so you have to have the traditional preparation, the drink that they drink in the islands. I was like, okay, that actually makes sense because everything I've read about kava from an anthropological account standpoint, um, this is like a sacred substance to them. And they're reporting all these effects that I was not getting with those capsules, right? Deep, you know, um, psychological, almost like, you know, subtle entheogenic effects, profoundly calming effects. It's so sacred to them you know, social lubrication, social enhancement. I wasn't getting any of that with those capsules. So anyways, I, I did get in contact with this farmer and with, uh, you, know, you know, several people in the industry and started to sort of work that circuit. Um, got in contact with uh, a, a lot of these people in, in Vanuatu and in Fiji, which are the two island chains that Kava really originated in, you know, initially about 3000 years ago. And these indigenous people have been using it for that long and they've been using it daily in a specific form with a specific preparation that is this drink. It's this drink that looks like muddy water that they consume in ceremonies and they consume in weddings and funerals and social gatherings and the whole thing. So I, I started having some of the dry roots sent to me and then they sent me instructions on how to prepare it. Uh, and it involved basically putting a bunch of this grind, this ground dried root that was like vacuum sealed so it wasn't exposed to oxygen. And I opened it up and then I put it in the strainer bag and squeezed it out into a bowl of cold water like they told me and, and wrung it out under specific pressure, a certain temperature for like 30, 45 minutes. Oh, it was, it took a lot of time and it got my bag all nasty, got my kitchen all nasty and it tasted like muddy water, but I was blown away by the effects. You know, after taking it for a couple of days, I was like, this is really interesting. It has a cumulative effect. And so you always give it about a month to build up in your system. So after a month, I was like, this is, this stuff is amazing, right? This is like really, really helping. Like, I feel like, like a, like a 10,000 pound weight is lifted off my shoulders and I'm, I'm not having like, I'm, I'm having far less reactions. The ones I am having are lasting half as long. And then after two months, I had reduced my reactions by about 85%, my seizures by about 85%. And the ones I still having were almost like non-existent. And I was able to get completely off of um, these benzodiazepine drugs uh, that I was heavily addicted to within two, two and a half months. Uh, and I was just, that was like a miracle. It's like the biggest miracle I'd ever seen. When you're in that state that I was in and I was near death and it was like, so Kava like literally saved my life. I mean, you know, to be able to get off of a drug that's that addictive and to be able to suppress your symptoms that were already pre-existing, that were so egregious like that, it was just a miracle. So, but then also it didn't have any of the side effects of the benzos. Like benzos, you take them and they calm you down, but then it muddles up your brain chemistry and it's like you kind of become a different person. You get memory loss. 
but this was able to give me a calm centered focus to give me all the strengths from the benzos but none of the weaknesses it was able to turn my brain on and act as like a nootropic and lifted my mood it was almost like too good to be true and i explored it and i took it for a long period of time and and uh, you know got you know integrated into the scientific community that had been you know discovering kava started developing more and more connections spoke with um you know some of the top doctors and researchers and scientists that were using kava both in the islands overseas you know the individuals who had published most of the research on kava as well and um and i it became very clear to me that there was a whole story to be told about kava about the differentiation between safe kava products and questionable kava products and kava products that just work and kava products that don't how to use it the entire thing uh, and so i was just so fascinated by it that that led to me eventually starting this project but between that time i had been using kava my own on, on my own and it it gave me the leverage i needed to be able to tolerate these treatments, these therapies, these modalities, these lifestyle changes, the dietary stuff, I was sleeping again. So it gave me the leverage I needed so I could integrate this whole other multi-therapeutic system that I worked for two, three, four years. And at the end of that, before I knew it, I had 50% of my life back, 60%, 70%. And I was able to do that. And I um, got back. And once I was back a certain way, I, I got invited to sort of work in this network of doctors uh who which had helped me there's you know there's several hundred of them here and they're plugged into sort of a lot of the main health influencers in this circuit in the united states um and i uh, got connected into this world and developed a um you know sort of a schematic for for what i thought would be the most adequate and best way to introduce what I consider true kava into the marketplace and reach the most people as possible. Um, and I developed, you know, several extraction methods to put it in palatable forms that are ready to use to get past those. We worked with the regulatory agencies preemptively and um, to, to look at quality standards and things and ways that we could set the standard in the United States to differentiate good kava products from not good kava products. And we just rolled with it. It was many years of development, getting down supply chains and farms and stuff. And once we were ready to launch it, we launched it and here we are. That's how it all came together. Awesome. And one of the one of the really interesting things, I think part, you know, part of your story, uh, you know, was you originally tried Kava, you know, but just kind of like the cheap, you know, whatever that you got in the store and had basically no effect. Whereas, you know, kind of the the real, you know, kind of kava, the, I guess the indigenous tribes were, were drinking, uh, had a dramatic effect. And I'm curious, you know, how you having like kind of scoured through the scientific literature, what do you think it is that was, you know, what, what, what are the, the different compounds in kava, you know, that are actually, uh, you know, having their effect, um, mm -hmm. when it's properly formulated? Yeah, so the, so the most active compounds in kava are a series of, of lipid-like compounds called kava-lactones. 
and lactones are little oily compounds, uh, just like the cannabinoids in cannabis, right? There's, there's many of them. Uh, there's in, in, in kava, there's 19 total kava lactones that have been isolated. We think that there are more, but that's how many that have been isolated and discovered. And really, we think that the greatest contribution comes from six. Uh, there's one called cavein, which has been looked at the most in isolated form. Uh, there's dihydrocavein, which is a double bonded form of that. There's methistochin, which is one of the more anxiolytic components and one of the more sort of body relaxing components. And there's dihydromethistochin, which is double bonded form of that, longer half-life. And then there's yangonin, which has more effects that we can talk about that, that contribute to its overall effects. And there's desmethoxyangonin. So that's, that's you, those are six major lactones. Now, anyone dealing with kava, even people dealing with what I call kava-like products or kava-like extracts, know about kava lactones. And the disconnect has been to try to seek out just the kava lactones. And this comes from what I see as a, a huge sort of misperception and sort of the Western mindset of medicine in general, of trying to find the compound that is the medicine and isolate it from the rest of this sort of entourage of other living constituents. And then we're going to have something that's more potent, except that's generally not the case. Almost all the time, when you isolate one or just six compounds from the rest of sort of a living system, which is what a plant is, it's a living system, just like the human body is a living system, as a multitude of different synergistic compounds that work synergistically or simultaneously together to give you an overall effect, just like a musical orchestra. Each compound is like an instrument. Some instruments play front and center, play louder, right? Like these main ones, but there are many others that help support and give a depth to the overall effects or the sound, right? Um, and I think what we're missing a lot of times in whenever we get too, you know, analytical, I guess, you know, we are Western-minded about things that, that obviously those in the East, like in, uh, in China and some other, uh, you know, different countries you sort of know is not accurate, is that we think that getting the loudest instrument and separating as we're going to get a better effect, right? And that's just not the case. So basically what most of these Kava products that you see on the shelf, they look for the most, the strongest, what's called a solvent, which is usually alcohol, but a lot of times something even worse, more aggressive, like acetone or hexane or, you know, some of these different like chemical solvents, which they're, you, you just mix like a liquid solvent with the plant material and it dissolves or pulls out certain active constituents. The problem is, is whenever you use a solvent, you only pull out certain constituents that are soluble in that substance and you leave the rest of it. That's a way of separating things out and isolating them. Some plants do okay with that and those are usually the plants that only have a few active constituents. Kava has a lot. So if you, if you extract kava with solvents, and try to just separate those few six lactones from the rest of the compounds, which it has many more that support it, enzymes and flavonoids and other constituents that sort of help with the bioavailability and shuttle the lactones where they need to go in the half-life and, and accentuate the effects. They sort of like help like those supportive instruments in an orchestra. Um, if, if you separate those out with a solvent, then you end up with something that just is much more shallow in its effects, right? So it ends up just being a fraction or a small shade of what you would get if you had the whole matrix. Um, so, and that's true for most plant medicines. It's more true for some. 
Kava is one of those that you can, if you extract it with solvents, you almost completely kill like 90% of the effects because of that. And it's just the unique pharmacological makeup of the kava plant and of the kava root. So most kava products in the market, they don't classify as real kava because the definition of kava is the constituent mixture. You know, the definition as put forth by the governments of Vanuatu, where kava originated from, is the water and pressure extracted uh, elixir from the roots of Piper methysticum, only the roots too. And most of these kava products in the market are not water extracted. They're not pressure extracted. They use these solvents because they think they're making it more potent and it gives them better yields and they save money and all this stuff. But they end up with something that's a kava-like product. And it may not even be safe because when you isolate certain things, they act differently in the body too. Um, I think with kava, that's not as much of a problem with that. Now you can make kava unsafe in many other ways by using the wrong parts of the plant and such. But that's really the main difference is most of these kava products in the market use solvents and they only, they end up with kava lactone. And so they just look in the scientific literature and they say, well, kava lactone is what we want, but they're only reading part of the story. And that's also the problem of science sometimes is that we get incomplete data when we only look at certain metrics. And um, that's why, you, you know, when looking at anything, it's important. There's multiple forms of knowledge. There's the scientific method, which is crucial. But then you also have to look at anthropological accounts. You have to look at direct experience. You have to look at how it's been used because there's a lot of wisdom in direct experience. And when the indigenous people are saying, hey, this is how we've used it. There's something that you're not taking into account. These are how we get the effects and this is how it's safe. We've used it daily for 3000 years. Then we need to listen to that and use the science to guide us, right? Or use that to guide us and what we look at with the scientific literature, with the studies. So whenever you take all of those things into account, it brings you to this obvious understanding, anyone who dives down this rabbit hole with kava, that there's a huge difference there. Those products, um, the, you know, the solvent extracted products have kava lactones, but just a few, but they miss all of the other constituents. A lot of the flavonoids, a lot of the enzymes, everything like that. The traditional preparations have those. So it's much, much stronger, much more efficacious. Okay. And one of the really interesting things I, I heard you mention in a previous podcast was just kind of about, you know, formulating kind of the different, you know, you can do different strains of kava, right, that have kind of slightly different effects, more, some yeah. more anxiolytic, mm -hmm. some more nootropic. And I, I guess I'm curious, how did you sort of go about uh, deciding on the couple, uh, I guess, the couple strains that you ended up using for the, the products um, that you guys are yeah. currently selling? So kava, just like the world of like cannabis or medical cannabis that a lot of people are aware of today because it's so prevalent and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, there are hundreds of different strains of kava uh, because if you grow it under different conditions, it expresses more of certain compounds that bring out sort of more of certain characteristics. So if you uh, select for certain strains of kava uh, and replant certain strains of kava um, that express more of say the the um, uh, lactones like yangonin, which is responsible for more of the dopaminergic effect, the dopamine enhancing effect of the kava, then you're going to get more euphoric strains over a period of generations, um, over a period of time and multiple generations, you're going to get more euphoric and more nootropic and more mood lifting kavas um, that are lesser on the nighttime relaxation side and more sort of on the on that sort of mind activating side. Uh, so 
there are daytime strains, there are nighttime strains uh, that express more of the mood lifting nootropic on the daytime and more of the relaxation sleep on the nighttime. And then there are some in the middle that have a good, good balanced spectrum of all of them. One of the most popular strains in Vanuatu is one of those balanced strains kind of in the middle and it's a strain called Baragu and that's the one that we started with our products. In the future, we'll have a lot of different products for specific applications across the board. But we like this because it's not, it doesn't have enough of the expression of these, these relaxation compounds to where it knocks you out, but it gives you plenty of relaxation and it leads to a good sleep later at night, but it also gives you a calm, enhanced focus during the day. So think about like a nootropic effect, like you would be trying to get with coffee or stimulants, but without like the jitteriness. So it's like that calm alpha state, like creative focus. It actually stimulates creativity. So that for us was the perfect place to start. And that's why Bargu is really one of the most popular strains because it's so balanced. So okay. that was what we started with with that. So we, in, in the future, we'll use different strains, but Bargu is one of the strains that has been dialed in for daily use that is very smooth on the system and gives this sort of balanced array of effects. Okay. So the Baragu is what's used, is that is what's used for both the oil and the shots that you guys do? Yes, yeah, so the Baragu is for the oil and then the Baragu is the main ingredient in the shots. The shots, we actually added two other strains. So we had the Baragu being like the one in the middle that had the daytime and nighttime effects. And then we added a little bit of one that is more strictly daytime and one that is more nighttime, but not still not sedating, just heavier on the anxiolytic side of things. So there's one called Baranguru that we added, which is kind of like Baragu. It sounds like it, but it's different. It's more, it's heavier. It's more body than it is head. And then we have one that's headier. That's more of the dopamine sort of like nootropic thing called Poniono. And that one is from Tonga. Um, so, which is another island in the South Pacific. So it made this good synergistic mix to sort of make it a little bit more powerful and activate more of the sort of cognitive aspects of Kavo. Um, the shot is a little bit stronger. The shot is like for, you know, sort of acute anxiolytic situations that, that, that you need something that's a little bit less balanced and subtle than what we get from the Kavoplex. Kavoplex is meant to be, the Kavoplex the, the, uh, is the oil. It is meant to be like the most subtle and versatile, but still have the effects, the, the, the spectrum of effects of kava. It's meant to be well tolerated by all, all ages at any time of the day. Um, we just wanted to start with a product like that. In the future, we'll have products that are even stronger on the drink side that really are strong enough that can be just straight up alcohol alternatives, but without the drunkenness and addiction that are that strong, right, in their, um, in their anxiolytic effects and their mood lifting effects as well, too. So there's a whole spectrum of different intensities and effects profile here that, that we're working with. And we dial it in by measuring for, um, you know, the ratios of these lactones that tell us what the plant's going to do, plus what we know about what they do from the indigenous people as well. Right, right. So you guys are testing for the different kava lactones yes. in the products? Okay. Yeah, yeah so that's, so, so, yeah. I was just going to ask, so is it, is it, I mean, I get that there's kind of this entourage effect of kind of different chemical constituents. Is it kind of like uh, the sort of ratios of the different cavalactones that are sort of determining the effects of a, of a specific strain? Yes. I mean, it gives us a good general idea. It's a general marker. Now, obviously, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to push for the discovery, uh, you know, and developing better lab analysis methodologies to where we can measure for more and more constituents to get even a more complete 
total analysis uh, of strain to strain to differentiate. We're pushing to do that. We're doing, we're putting a lot into that, obviously, and we've collaborated with some amazing people to be able to do that and to set new standards in the future. But right now, the gold standard for what we're using and what um, our partners had, had developed was a, um, was a chemotype methodology using UHPLC, where we can measure for the six major lactones and three chalcones called flavocavines. And they're kind of compounds that have a double-edged sword. You don't want too many of them or, or, or you definitely don't want too many of them. And, and sometimes you want none at all. So it's important for us to measure for those too. But the, but the, but the Kava lactones, we measure for the main six and it gives us a six digit number sequence that tells us the ratios. So it puts them in order of greatest concentration to least, right? And each, each one of the major lactones, the Kava into hydrocarbon, methistokin, digamethistokin, young going, dismethoxane, going, all of those uh, are assigned a numerical value one through six. And it's, so you'll have one that's like five, four, two, six, one, you know? So it's, it's uh, you know, so it'll tell you, you know, a general idea of the ratios and that gives you an idea of okay this is a very high yangonin kava right so that means it's going to be more euphoric most likely um now there are other factors there because there are other supportive constituents that may be there that may express and bring out more characteristics that could distort that a little bit but it gives us a ballpark idea and a starting place um, but also we just have so much direct experience with these strains that we're so confident because the effects i mean you know, I could take the Pepsi challenge with any of these strains, right, and tell you which one's which because I know them so well. And that's the good thing about Kava is that the effects are out front enough to where you really do feel the difference. And also, yeah, so, but we're looking for um, and always trying to modify and um, improve, uh, you know, the ways that we can actually uh, demonstrate that in the lab, right? to where we can give some sort of objective, uh, you know, sort of quantification of, uh, of each strain, especially as we move more into the medical space with all this, uh, it's going to be very important. So, awesome. uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what's, uh, what we do there. And so by doing that, we can, you know, sort of tell people, okay, this is going to have this effects profile. Generally, this is going to have this you know, effects profile. Some of these other compounds, these flavocavanes are, part of the plant's defense system. They have medicinal value up to a certain point and then they're just too stressful to the body. So some strains that are closer to wild kavas have a really strong effect because they have higher expression of these double bonded lactones and they have more of these flavocavanes. Um, and the flavocavanes are actually heavily studied against almost every form of cancer that we know of. And there's a huge body of a large body of literature around flavocavanes and their anti-cancer and anti-mutagenic properties and so they may have application in the future but they can cause side effects because they can cause roughage so you have to get the dosages right of those to make sure that you're not overdoing it and causing side effects and and hangover that you can give them too many of those most of the strains that we use right now have very low to no levels of those that's what makes them so smooth and they give you most of the other benefits um, and they're not as much of a, an, an acutely medicinal situation like those wild strains would be. They're in a class called noble kavas. Indigenous people have selected to be in, to meet a certain chemical composition standard that we now know from the scientific literature where they have virtually no flavocavanes and they have 
lower levels of the double bonded lactones. So they're really good for daily use. You can drink them consistently, safely over long periods of time. Um, and we don't even know that the other kavas aren't safe, but we just know they can cause side effects. You can feel like groggy the next day if you get those. So it's important for us to have these categories because the industry, if we're going to not get a bad reputation, people have to know what they're getting. Like if they have bad effects, it's always from these other kavas, right? So we do, you know, self, we do lab quantification so that we can say this is, this is fully classifies as a noble strain, a daily use strain, and with this effects profile, and that it only has material in it that's from the roots and not the aerial parts, the leaves and stems, because the aerial parts can be problematic. They have plant defense toxins that are pretty pernicious that humans shouldn't consume. So that's another gotcha. thing with testing. Gotcha. So what, uh, what are you, what's kind of next for, for true Kava as far as like uh, specific, are you guys planning on, you mentioned kind of like expanding to, to create these different products. Is there any, any specific one that you guys are kind of planning on doing next or? Yeah, we're, we're right now we're, we're working on a line of drinks of like, you know, going into the functional beverage market pretty aggressively. Um, and the drinks are going to be full, full potency, traditional kava. So um, now we're going to have different concentrations, obviously, for the standard market and then some for sort of like the, the recreational market, safe recreational. Because the goal is to have alternatives to alcohol, especially during this crazy time that we live in where addiction is going through the roof and trauma and toxicity and all of this stuff. Um, you know, you know kava is really needed more than ever. Uh, and so that's really important. So you know, I... We're focusing on the drinks. We've got um, encapsulated products that we're working on for the medical space and for just the standard supplement market. Right now we have our oil and our shots, and those are probably two of the more subtle products, even though still good and have all the effects there. But we're working on some, both for the medical space and the recreational space that are more potent uh, because there's just so many applications for kava and different concentrations and strains and forms across the board. Uh, you know, for the medical space, we're very interested in Kava's many neuroprotective effects and, and its metabolic effects too. I mentioned Kava's correlation to its antimutagenic properties in the literature and stuff. It does that by optimizing human metabolism and putting in, in activating processes like cellular autophagy and fat burning and all of these things. So within the within the functional beverage market. It's a great tool to help with people who are trying to intermittent fast or help with people who are trying to get into states of ketosis, which we all know is very, very good um, in, in trying to you know, reduce carbohydrate and sugar cravings and to get over some of these things uh, and to help uh, people who are pre-diabetes or post-type 2 diabetes or, or you know, cancer or any metabolic disease where you're trying to shift your fuel source from carbohydrates to fat burning and, and get rid of inflammation as well too. So there's a lot of effects across the board in addition to Kava's many neuroprotective effects that we see, which is just profound. You know, Kava has been shown to be a profound sodium and calcium channel blocker, which is the same mechanism as most anti-seizure drugs, which I fully understand and know doesn't surprise me at all. Um, Kava has powerful effects on COX-1, COX-2 inhibition, same mechanism we see in non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. 
um, it has NRF2 upregulation, which is the body's natural hormetic antioxidant response. So it stimulates an adaptive response, upregulates our body's own natural production of glutathione. The GABA effects oppose glutamate, which is a neurotoxic response in, in, in any autoimmune process. So across the board, it seems to hit on every major pathway in the body that, that stimulates adaptive protection of physical, chemical, and emotional stress. So it helps to process stress and protect the body from the damaging effects of stress. So it really, from a philosophical standpoint, its signature is really a protective substance. Uh, you know, we're starting to see it and hear it be called the great protector. It's kind of funny too, because we've been talking science, but uh, you know, in the environment, kava plays an extremely protective role. Uh, it helps to you know, you know, protect other plants and the ecology around it. it. Through chemistry, it develops this full array of adaptive protective molecules that are consistent across all of biology, right? So, and we are a part of that natural ecosystem too. We're an extension of that natural ecosystem. So whenever we take that substance into our bodies, that living organism, it transfers that protection to us, almost as if it's like a protective shield that it's giving us on stress and stuff. So the, the neuroprotective effects have been looked at in Alzheimer's disease. They've been looked at in epilepsy. They've been looked at in autism. They've been looked at in, in, in any condition where you have an over accentuation of glutamate activity and inflammation that's damaging the neurological system. And I've just seen profound results. I mean, I could go on about anecdotal accounts, but uh, there's a lot there. It's really exciting. Awesome. Well, Cameron, we're coming up onto the end of the show. This has been a fascinating discussion. Um, learned a ton about kava. Uh, for people uh, listening who are interested in, in learning more or about your work, uh, your company, where would you direct them to? Yeah, I would go to, um, well, you can find us on social media. You can find us uh, True Kava, T-R-U, Kava, not T-R-U-E, uh, T-R-U-K-A-V-A, just like the sign back here, if you can see it, um, on, on Facebook, Instagram, and then the, the website is gettrukava.com, and you'll find all the information, the resources, the products that we have, news coming up about Kava, both in the community and regulatory stuff. Pretty much everything that you need to know is going to be on there, especially in the coming months. So any other podcast that I've done, media stuff and everything, if you want to take a deep dive or just learn more, just try out the product yourself. A lot of times we have, uh, you know, sales going on in the website and stuff. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of good there that's going on. So Great, great. And uh, for those of you who enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're Roscoe's Wetsuit. And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and we're now on Stitcher. So go ahead, check us out whichever way you want. Cameron, thanks so much again for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It was great to be here. Absolutely.